Welcome to Iron Sharpens Iron, a program by Catholic men for Catholic men. And this program is offered by the Fathers of St. Joseph, a Catholic apostolate for men, and the Catholic Men's Ministry here in the Diocese of Columbus. My name's Matt Palmer. I'm with Catholic Men's Ministry, and I'm joined by my dear brother in Christ uh, and our co-host for this program, Devin Shad. Devin, Devin, good morning, brother. Good morning, Matt. Thank you for having me with you. I love having you with me. It's a great, this program is such a great journey where we, you and I, each each episode get to uh, spend some time um, with a an on-fire follower of Christ, a Catholic man living out uh, the great adventure of our Catholic faith with courage and with passion. And we've got one of those men today, Deacon Charlie Ekaveri from Los Angeles has joined us as our guest. Deacon Charlie, good morning, brother. It's great to be with you, gentlemen. What a privilege. Well, we're just so excited to uh, to let the Holy Spirit speak through you and to hear more about how he's called you through life and uh, and a little bit about your work now. But let's start with prayer. Devin, would you open us in prayer? Yes. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, awaken our hearts. Stir us. You know, Lord, sometimes we just become so um, dull and so overwhelmed with responsibilities and cares of the world. We just ask you to use us right now, especially Deacon Charlie, to awaken us and to stir us and to fan your fire, your holy fire, into flame in us. Please come, Lord Jesus, come. We ask this in your most holy name. Amen. Mama Mary and St. Joseph, pray for us. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Devin. Well, Deacon Charlie, we're excited to just have you share a little bit of, uh, of your life journey. Let's start in this first part of the program, just getting to know you a little bit. Tell us more about your growing up years and kind of share with our, our guys that are listening a little bit about how faith was uh, moving and being expressed in your childhood and family life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm a first-generation American, so my parents uh, came to this country in the late 60s from Colombia in South America. And so I'm the first in my family to actually be born in the United States. I was born in Los Angeles, and by a very circuitous route, made it back to L.A. 30 years later. Uh, In the interceding years, I grew up kind of all over the place. My father ran the Latin American and Caribbean part of a big bank. Uh, so I grew up uh, in Mexico, in Buenos Aires, in Argentina, where our Holy Father is from. I spent some years in uh, Caracas in Venezuela and spent some years in the U.S. Virgin Islands as well before we settled uh, in South Florida for, uh, as my dad sort of ended his uh, corporate career. Um, and then, you know, I made it all the way back, kind of manifest destiny back to, uh, to California. So one big giant circle in a way. And, you know, as a result of that upbringing, it's kind of interesting because I've reflected on this a number of times in my life that, um, you know, I was born into a Catholic family. Both uh, my mother and father uh, were, you know, obviously come from a long line as Colombia is one of the most Catholic uh, countries in South America. Brazil is is also there um, along with it. Uh, But at the same time, the faith was very culturally known for me. So it was something that was um, kind of as automatic as the food or the music or the colors of culture. So in a way, it kind of disappeared. And that was a sort of the strange irony that even though I was brought up in a very Catholic way and in very Catholic countries, despite the fact that there was a number of them, 
that I grew up in. Uh, nevertheless, the faith was, it was kind of in the wallpaper. It was kind of like electricity. You didn't really consider it. You didn't really think about it. It's very common, you know, to go to a restaurant in South America and you see an altar there right above the cash register or, you know, people saying grace before meals or, you know, the expressions and the language, uh, you, you know, God is, mentions of God are everywhere, but they can kind of blend into the background. Hmm. When I moved back to the United States in kind of my high school years, I had to choose Christianity. It, it, it became very clear that this was not a country like, even though I was born here, I left when I was two years old, so I didn't know anything about the U.S. Um, it, it became very clear to me that faith was something here that was uh, that required election, that, were, that required uh, choosing. And that was a very conscious thing for me in my, in my youth. And so uh, at that point, I had to tussle in my high school, college years with what it was I was choosing. Do I believe this? Do I understand this? And sadly, for most of my college and maybe early 20s, the answer was kind of a lukewarm, yeah, sort of, I guess. You know, it was sort of, yeah, this is just the what I know and how I, how I grew up. And it wasn't until I met my wife, who was not a Catholic, and she began to be curious in the faith that her conversion to Catholicism led to my reversion in the faith. So it's a little bit of a thumbnail sketch of um, my upbringing. I have one older brother um, who is a, a Benedictine a priest and a monk, um, lives in the desert in a nabi. Uh, he was ordained two weeks uh, apart from me. Um, I'm, a, I'm a father of five. I've got one in heaven, four here on earth. Uh, dedicated to a number of ministries, homelessness, uh, you know, post-abortive care, Hispanic ministry, media. Uh, so a variety of different things. Um, so anyway, a little thumbnail sketch. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's pause there. There's a lot there to unpack. And Devin, as, as we've listened to Deacon Charlie kind of share in a, in a thumbnail sketch sort of his life and his journey, his faith journey, uh, some reactions from you. I think there's some things there that a lot of us can relate to. Oh, yeah. I think that the idea of a cultural Catholicism is <clears throat> a reality that most of us who are older have grown up in. And now that's kind of in a po we're in a post-Christian society. So that's not the norm now. But I, I do I can relate to this idea of making your election, you know, solidify your election with the Lord and choosing the Lord rather than just culturally just accepting it. And I just wonder I want to know more about your wife. I want to know, like, what was it about her conversion that actually really converted you, that actually transformed you? What was it that set you on fire? And I think it's interesting because um, not that women can make us men, but by loving a woman and learning to love a woman and being in relationship to a woman, we can learn to be real men. And I, I think that there's something there with your wife, and I'd love to hear more about that, Charlie. Well, there's no question about the fact that in my matrimony, I've really discovered the fullness of who I am. And that's what that sacrament does. It really reveals the fullness of your masculinity, the fullness of your personhood. So that's definitely true. And that's, I think, what's happened throughout the course of my relationship in general. I think the impetus to what really drew my reversion, you know, God is very frugal. He doesn't waste anything. And so for me, it was the frustration that I felt at my wife's incessant questions about the faith that I could not answer. Hmm. And, you know, here I was brought up as a Catholic and my wife would ask very rudimentary things. You know, my wife has an incredible story of her own, um, but in her conversion, she would ask very rudimentary things like, 
you know, why is that guy wearing that? What, what, what's the smoke about at, that they're putting at the altar? Um, these stained glass windows, there's a guy over there holding somebody's head in his hand, and it looks kind of violent. What is that? Why, why do you do these things? And, you know, it was, it was a lot of these questions. And frankly, I was not equipped to answer those questions, even on a surface level. I mean, I, it, it wasn't, I couldn't even say, well, you know, we've got this kind of patrimony of art and blah, like there, there was zero there. Yeah. So I would have to dig and find the answers to those questions. And in relaying those to my wife, God formed me. You know, I love this because um, those questions are, of course, are the natural questions that anybody kind of looking into the church would ask. But what I love is when you when you started to prepare how to answer them, they, of course, lead you to the deeper truths of the faith. I mean, our art, um, our, the different aspects of liturgy, um, there's such purpose, but they all reveal a deeper truth and understanding of our Lord and of our faith. And so I, I, I think it's just brilliant that, and of course, all part of God's plan, that your wife would kind of take you from that level of, of smoke and imagery and then sure. force you, you know, to obviously understand what's really beneath all of that. Is it, that's, that's uh, Devin, that's a powerful way, I think, for a, a wife to um, sort of force a man to uh, make the faith his own, you know? Yeah. 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 I think defense leads to offense. You know, I've experienced that myself when uh, we hate to lose as men. We're competitors and we love to win. We hate to lose because in winning there's strength and losing. There's a, a, a feeling of inadequacy and weakness. And, and Charlie, I don't know if that's really what's going on there, but at some level, maybe deep down there's this, you know, man, I want to win. I want to know the answers. I want to be able to tell her the truth. I need to have the answers. And then when we dive in and in the sense that we're learning how to have a good defense, we actually learn to have a good offense. We learn to love, we learn to give, we learn to worship the Lord. And then pretty soon we're on fire. And now it's for the right reason. It's not just having the answers, but it's going to the answer and living in the answer of Jesus Christ and loving him. And then that's when we become, I guess, the most I guess, contagious, if you will, is because now we're working from an offense that is no longer rooted in defense. It's just free. And I, I, that's, I, I think I get that from your story. Yeah. Did you, I did you, is that, is that accurate Deacon Charlie? I think that's true. Yeah. I, I, like, you know, grace builds on nature as you guys know. And, and, you know, my nature was one of being very competitive and the dynamic in my relationship with my wife, when we first met, given how polar opposites we were, in upbringing, in, you know, education, in, um, you know, kind of worldly experiences. Uh, you know, I was the one that was uh, bringing all sort of new things to her. That was sort of my role. And I didn't quite understand her role at the beginning. You kind of see these things in sort of retrospect, right, in the rearview mirror. But what, um, so, so my job was, well, let me tell you about this and what's it like to live in different countries and experience different things and know different languages and, you know, learn about history and all these things, the, the, the kind of the, the byproducts of my education and my upbringing. So when she would ask me these questions about the faith, it seemed very natural to me that I would continue in that way. Like, okay, well, this is what it is. And let me give you not just a simple answer, but the layers upon layers of the answer. And I couldn't do it in that case. So it really, it not only triggered my competitiveness, but it also was sort of an affront to the dynamic that we had created where 
wait a minute, I'm supposed to be, you know, helping you get more, uh, you know, a fuller answer on all things, you know, and I can't do it here. And so it really, um, you know, highlighted for me a, a major deficiency in my own understanding. Now, the interesting thing, and I think you mentioned this earlier, Devin, or perhaps it was you, Matt, about, um, you know, the deeper truths. That is true that, you know, in talking about these, the, the sort of surface things about the faith, I was able to get closer to the depth and communicate that and learn more about it with her. But the interesting thing of what she taught me because she came up, if anything, and it was a very poorly, there was no formation in her background, but to the extent that there was any kind of Christian understanding, it was an evangelical, bare bones, um, you know, kind of scripture in God, uh, bathtub baptisms, kind of, you know, 70s sort of, you know, hippies movement kind of Christianity. But what she knew really well, especially as she was about to enter the church, is that she loved Jesus. She loved Jesus. She didn't even agree with all the things that the church taught, but somebody, her, her you know, sponsor said, do you love Jesus? And she said, yeah, I do. Well, then trust him and do this. Mm. So she had that. And with all of my kind of cultural baggage and background, to, you know, I, I knew all the custom stuff. And then I was learning all the intellectual uh, kind of patrimony of the church and the answers to the questions. But I wasn't very close to loving Jesus in the way that she did. So she, and, and ultimately, you want to talk about the ultimate goal of everything, all of these things, all of the, the summas, all of the rubrics, all of the everything, all of the canons point us to a charismatic relationship and a transformative relationship with Jesus. She had that. And that is something that I wanted, you know, so um, it, we, we kind of fed one another. This is just such a great story. Men that are just uh, tuning in, you're listening to a program called Iron Sharpens Iron. It's a program by Catholic men for Catholic men in which Devin Shad and I, Matt Palmer, we have a chance uh, each episode to interview uh, an on-fire Catholic man somewhere in the world that is uh, has really said yes, just like the Blessed Mother said yes. And and today we're um, we're chatting with Deacon Charlie Ecaveri from Los Angeles. He's just been sharing kind of his life story, and we're really at a a fascinating point. I I would love um, kind of at the halfway point through this episode, I'd love Deacon Charlie for you to talk a little bit about how did you then move you know from the rubrics and from the knowledge you were gaining. Talk about this romance with, 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 with our Lord and opening your heart to falling in love with him. I mean, that doesn't just happen overnight, typically. That, that's a process. Is, are there some aspects to that that would help other men listening to this sort of find a path to doing that as well if they're struggling to really love our Lord, to love Jesus? Well, everything begins, and I know that, you know, I, I know at least when I heard this in the earlier days of my spiritual walk, that I heard it with a certain amount of kind of internal frustration or, uh, you know, lack of interest or I don't know, however you want to describe it. But when I would hear people say, well, you have to pray, pray is, prayer is the starting point. It wasn't until I understood what prayer actually was. And that prayer was this exercising our relationship with the persons of the Trinity in the same way that we have relationships with other persons, right? Until I understood that that's fundamentally what prayer was, to have a conversation and to build a relationship with the persons of the Trinity, with Jesus specifically. It wasn't until that moment that that kind of clicked that, oh, you know, Jesus is my 
best friend. He's the person that I can bring into everything, into every aspect of my life that I can, you know, no matter how mundane, no matter how secular, because I came up, you know, my my professional background is basically Hollywood. You know, I mean, I, I grew up in the media industry and still I'm still here. I live in Los Angeles. You know, I work with media folks all day. Most of them are non-believers. Some are antagonistic to the faith. And, you know, I would walk into conference rooms and boardrooms and, you know, meetings with, you know, presentations with big companies like Google and Facebook and, you know, trying to bring Jesus into these. And it was the, the, the sort of the that's when the seeds of my upbringing, the, the, the things my parents did give me uh, kind of came back. You know, this idea my mom would always say as a kid, just grab Jesus by the hand wherever you go. Like walk in with Jesus holding your hand wherever you go. And I would think about that. Okay, like I'm going to walk into this boardroom meeting in you know, Manhattan and I'm going to bring Jesus in by the hand. And, and so that relationship through prayer, even simple acts of prayer, and of course, you know, other things, devotion and mental prayer and the mass and rosary and all those things. But it was really prayer that was the starting point. Then for me, the sacramental life was really the bridge into this deeper love affair with Jesus. And look, everybody's on a journey. It's not like you get to throw your hands up on this earth and go, okay, I'm here. I fully love Jesus. I love him the most that I've ever loved him. Like I'm still on a journey. Everyone is on a journey. And so we shouldn't lose hope that, you know, we haven't sort of achieved this fullness that we envision until we get to the beatific vision. We're not going to have that. Right. So we we're constantly on a journey, but the sacramental life, as I mentioned earlier, really helped kind of peel the layers of the onion back to more fully reveal who I was. It wasn't that I was learning things or that I was advancing, you know, in the way that we think about advancement from a kind of worldly standpoint, but it was I was discovering more of who I was, more of who God made, more about how much God loved me through the sacramental life. And most importantly of all of that, I think was marriage. And then of course, I, you know, I've had, uh, and I say this to my deacon brothers all the time, you know, how blessed we are. I've had all seven sacraments and what a blessing that is because the sacraments are these great bridges to this deeper love affair, this deeper understanding. And then I'd say now, and sort of the season for me is how to put all of that to work in the world in an integrated way. So I think, you know, Jesus calls all of us to live an integrated Catholic life wherever we are, not to have, you know, the very tempting masks that we have, right? And, you know, I'm, a, I'm an executive, I'm a business owner, and I'm an entrepreneur, I'm Hispanic, I'm a father, I've got all these things that I can wear. But what God calls us to is to really live that integrated life and to do that out in the world, ministering to his other kids, to his other children. And that also helps to reveal how much God, you know, loves me in that love affair with God. Mm -hmm. When you interact with others and God is communicating to you through them. Um, you know, last point, my wife and I have this uh, thing that we talk about all the time, which is the two-way street. We work a lot with the homeless. And for years, we've been doing this for 20 years, but for years, our orientation was look at all this stuff, this good that we're doing, this, this feeding, this helping, this whatever to these downtrodden folks, to the marginalized, to the poor. And it wasn't until very recently, frankly, that I realized that the formation that was happening was my own, that God was giving me through those interactions. He was actually helping me, right? He was forming me. So now when we interact with a homeless family or with somebody on the streets, you know, I approach those opportunities with great joy because I'm looking forward to what God's going to show me through that interaction, what that person who has nothing is going to teach me. 
So it, it's this question of the two-way street, and I think that's sort of the season maybe that I'm in right now. Yeah, this is there's so much here. Um, you know, Devin, as I as we're listening to Deacon Charlie kind of reflect, I'm I'm intrigued by his sharing about prayer and the sacramental life as sort of the way that obviously um, the, the the church and our Lord has has made us for that, and those are the ways in which we grow and fall in love. But um, Devin, just some reactions to kind of how. Christ formed Deacon Charlie um, over the years after, you know, once he kind of understood, you know, with his wife's encouragement and his wife's example that falling in love with Jesus is something that he wanted and desired. Yeah, I I think that Charlie's, Charlie, you're, this, like, conversion really began with a yearning, a holy yearning, you know, like, I think that happens a lot of times. We run into someone who has that which we don't have. And it becomes a holy envy of sorts where we're like, wow, I wish I had that relationship with Jesus, or I wish I had that freedom, or I wish I had that joy and that love. And that's the starting point. I think that without that yearning, because that's like the Song of Songs, you know, you've got the bride. And I I think this is really real, is that like we men, we can have a problem, but we're called to be men. We're called to be masculine. We're called to be strong. We're called to be sacrificial. And we have this great burden of responsibility that we feel a lot of times. But yet, at the same time, we have to become the bride. <laughs> you know, it's like really counterintuitive. We have to become the bride to Christ, in a sense, so that we can be loved by Jesus, so that as the groom, we can love like Jesus. Does mm. that make sense? Like, we, we, we learned that we loved by Jesus so that we can love like Jesus. And so you have this yearning at the beginning, gosh, I want to learn from my—I I want what my wife has. I want to be loved by Jesus. And then, through that process of developing this prayer life with Jesus— you're feeling loved by Jesus, then you're willing to sacrifice for Jesus. And I love what you say is like, I want to walk into that boardroom or that meeting with Jesus, wherever you go. For most of us, we say, Jesus, you sit in the car, I'm going in the meeting, I got this handled, you know, but you're like, I'm walking into this meeting or this situation with Jesus, and I'm bringing you in. And I think that for all of us, it's the point of yearning. I met with a guy yesterday and he is going through a terrible situation with his wife. They're separated and mm-hmm. he's, and his focus is on his child. And I said, but you are, do you long to be, get back with your wife? Because mm-hmm. long, I long to get back with my child, but do you long to get back with your wife? That hasn't come yet. Yeah. So when you don't have the yearning, when you don't have the yearning, there cannot be healing. Right. And so the yearning is what creates in us, this desire to sacrifice. And that's what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. Reaction to that, Deacon Charlie, I'm sure you see that in your own, as you look back over the years. I I definitely do. I mean, scripture all over the place talks about our emulation, right? St. Paul says, you know, be like me, emulate me, imitate me. Um, You know, Jesus says, be like your father, your heavenly father, be perfect like he is. There's, there's this sense of emulation or, you know, holy envy. I like that um, terminology, but this idea of longing for something. And then through that longing, through that imitation, um, we're better able to to be like Christ and to be godlike. And that kind of sets us up ultimately for, you know, what the church talks about, our, our sort of ultimate transformation when we participate with the Trinity, uh, you know, in that love of persons. So all of that I agree with. The other thing that I think about is interesting that you mentioned, um, Devin, is this idea in your counseling of that of that man, of having um, a real sense of the proper order of things. 
you know, I have over my dresser, I have a kind of a mirror, uh, you know, over my dresser in my bedroom. And years ago, my wife wrote down, my wife and I kind of did it together, but anyway, she's rewritten it a bunch of times in this sort of, uh, you know, whiteboard marker. She wrote down on the mirror the sort of hierarchy of life, right? Um, and at the very top, number one in all of our lives, we know objectively, right, we understand God is number one. Sometimes we forget that in terms of priority. Number two is your spouse. Number two is your wife. Number three are your kids. And the thing of it is, is that if you have those out of order, what happens is it affects everything above and below that hierarchy, not just that thing, not just the thing you're sort of putting in the wrong spot, right? If you put your kids first, you don't just throw off your kids, you throw off your relationship with God as well, and you throw off your relationship with your wife. If you have your wife as number one or your spouse as number one, which happens all the time, you know, this sort of like overly deferential or you, you encourage people into behaviors that you know are not good for them, all these things that happen throughout relationships, you're, you're impacting that person, but you're also impacting the rest of that sort of order. So there's this beautiful kind of waterfall effect. That's why God gave us hierarchies to begin with. There's nothing to be afraid of. We have a society right now that is very opposed to hierarchical models, th systems, thought process. But there's a great beauty in that, and th that, that it works like a waterfall. And so we want to maintain that in, in the way that we approach life and keep things in proper order. And it's hard when you have kids, right? And especially if you're going through a situation like the one that you described, it's like, well, I just want to see my little girl. I also want to see my little boy. And my wife and I are at odds with each other. So it creates difficulties, totally understandable. But the way into that um, proximity with your daughter or with your son is the recognition of number one and number two. Mm. Now, of course, you know, I don't know all the, intrica the, 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 the intricacies of this relationship you mentioned. And there are cases, of course, where uh, and even the church, um, you know, allows for there to be a separation of husband and wife for, you know, for the good of, uh, of all the people involved. But we we live in a society where that's it's very easy to get to, to that, that point. Uh, and, and I think the, those hierarchies help us, you know, kind of return to center. Yeah, I'm going to have to um, pull us to a, to a close. We've reached the end of this episode. Deacon Charlie, we'll have you back because there's so much more to unpack about your ministry now. And for our listeners, uh, Deacon Charlie will be one of the keynote uh, speakers at our upcoming uh, 26th annual Catholic Men's Conference here in the Diocese of Columbus. That will be February 25th of 2023. And you can go to St. Gabriel Radio, stgabrielradio.com, and get more information on that. But thank you for joining us, Deacon Charlie. Devin, as always, uh, blessings to both of you. And men that have listened in, let's go live this beautiful life that Christ has called us to as men, as husbands and fathers. This has been Iron Sharpens Iron. Have a blessed day.